Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest. We are probably a minute or so late here getting online and that's my fault. Chase, I don't know what was happening. I kept knocking myself out of the meeting somehow. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, we're good to go, except I've got to ask you, um, am I, does my picture look funny? Uh, you look funny, but your picture looks fine. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a comment Joe would appreciate if he were here. <laughs> he would. He would. The reason I asked, I, I think what was messing me up here, I've got uh, two monitors and I have one that I have turned portrait style and because of some work that I was doing and I didn't bother to switch it back before this. And I think somehow that that was throwing me off here. But if it's coming across all right, we'll just leave things as they are. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, Joe Joe is not with us today, uh, so we'll miss him. But Lord willing, we'll we'll have him back next week. What are we talking about today? We're going to look at Second Peter chapter one and two. Great. So let's dive into it uh, as we do. Uh, let's encourage our viewers. If you have some comments or anything that you want to ask about as we discuss this, you can make comments to the Facebook page, uh, or you can just use our little uh, Q and A feature here in Zoom if you're watching on Zoom. Yeah. I was just going to say, as you get into this, Jeff, make sure you set it up for us. Um, what are some things you want us to be looking for as we kind of work through the text today as we look at 2 Peter 1 and 2? Yeah, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the idea that um, there are people out there who are going to claim to be creatures of uh, creatures, preachers, teachers of God's word. And really, they're just creatures. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. they, they, they are they're not everybody who professes Christ is really sincere, and there are a lot of people out there who are telling people what they want to hear, and um, and Peter's going to address some of that. Uh, but but that's really in chapter two. We're going to start in chapter one. As we do so, uh, yeah, the Pat says Freudian slip. <laughs> um, as we do so, let's um, uh, you're you're going to be monitoring, I guess, the comments on the Facebook page. Yep, and, I'm watching Facebook. And uh, I, I can watch the chat feature here and the um, comments that may come in on the Zoom window. If you see something there that I missed, let me know. All right. Hey, you know what? Let's read. It's not, we don't have a lot. So let's read a little bit. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the first 11 verses just straight through. And I'm, gonna read, I'm reading from an older translation. It's the American Standard. Chase, you're looking at the ESV or the New, New American Standard? New American Standard Bible. So if there's something that jumps out at you as being significantly different or interestingly different as I read through this, call it to our attention afterwards, and let's go back and take a look at it. Or you can jump in in the middle of it if you want. That sounds good. Ready? Yep. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us in the righteousness of our God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these ye may become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. I'm going to pause right there, Chase. That phrase, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. We're going to come back to that when we get down into chapter two. Sounds so good. 
Peter's writing to his audience, look, you've escaped this corruption in the world, and this corruption is there by lust, by man's own desires. You've escaped that. All right, we'll come back to that. Verse 5, yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence, in your faith supply virtue, and in your virtue knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control patience, and in your patience godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacketh these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, first of all, any translation uh, things that... Yeah, could you, read your, could you read your verse 10 again? Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. Hmm. Okay, so mine says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Uh, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. I just, I'd never thought about election versus choosing. I just, that's a good synonym I hadn't thought about. Yeah, it really is. And you know what? Maybe that's a point just to make here for a moment. You know, when we have political elections, we are choosing a person to represent us in Congress or a person to be uh, president. We're making a choice. And God has made a choice just, you know, while we're on that, let's just flip back to Ephesians chapter one, where it says in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before him in love. In Christ, God has chosen a people. He's chosen those who are in Christ and, and by the blood of Christ made holy. And so uh, our election, our, our being chosen, um, it's, it's not that God has looked down and arbitrarily said, well, I'll take Chase and not Joe because Joe didn't make the program this week. No, it's, it's that God has said, I'm going to take out a people for me. You know, Chase, what people did God choose out in the Old Testament? Uh, he chose the Jewish nation. He called Abraham out of his homeland, out of his country land to go to a land that God would show him. Mm -hmm. And so the, the basis for being chosen in the Old Testament was you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that was it. But God's New Testament people, the New Covenant people, are chosen not because of your ancestor. God's New Testament people are chosen because they're in Christ. God has said, look, my people are going to be in Christ. That's who they're going to be. So, Yeah. What, one other little thing, just again, another synonym that's helpful. Uh, in verse 6, where yours says patience, mine mm -hmm. says perseverance. Um, yeah, I was hoping you'd mention that. Your, your, yours is a better translation. We don't use the word patience today to mean steadfast, steadfastness or perseverance, keeping on, keeping on. That's mm -hmm. really the idea. We use the word patience today to mean that I can sit and wait. Uh, you know, this is more, I, I am persisting in being faithful. I'm persisting in doing the right thing. And yep. so good, good, good point. All right. 
Um, so just if you were just to kind of sum up the message in these first 11 verses, um, would you say it's positive, upbeat, negative, uh, discouraging? Oh, I think it's certainly upbeat. Um, you've already talked about him talking about the calling that they've been called to. Um, he's talked about what they need to do to continue steadfast and to continue being faithful and that these qualities, they're good things in verses five through seven, and they're yours and are increasing. And they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just, I think he's really building them up to show them how amply blessed and supplied they are in this kingdom. Um, and so I, I take it to be kind of an encouraging section. Yeah, very much so. I think there's an interesting <clears throat> picture in verse uh, nine, where it talks about those who lack these things are um, short-sighted. The language here is that they are seeing only what is near. They're blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from their old sins. That spiritual short-sightedness, I think it's so interesting. So right now I'm, I'm sitting in my office and on the far end of my office is a, is a large whiteboard. I don't know, it's probably, as I look at it now, it's probably, it's at least five feet wide. It might be, it might be six feet wide. And, and it's much larger than, than my cell phone here. But I can take my cell phone and I can put it right here and I cannot see that whiteboard at all. I can only see this, this is near. It blocks out everything out, down there. And that's the way it is in life. Sometimes we get something right in front of us and as small as it is compared to eternal life, as small as it is compared to salvation in Jesus Christ, I just see what's right in front of me. And what's right in front of me is usually something temporal. It's, it's always something temporal. It's something of this life that's going to pass away. And Peter's going to talk about that in the third chapter. So that, yeah. that's an interesting picture there. And so it relates it to having forgotten his purification from his former sins, which I think is kind of interesting. Because as we think about becoming a Christian, being baptized and having sins washed away, that's the one thing you're excited about. And I, I remember that feeling, you know, going the weeks after a bab my baptism. Yeah. Oh, I've been forgiven. And it's just, and it's overwhelming how excited you are about that. But as time draws on and, and goes on, that excitement can fade if we're not careful. And we become short-sighted about the purification from that sin. And we can be tempted to go right back into it. That's and right. That that's what he's saying here is don't do that. Uh, don't lack these qualities that are making you unfruitful, uh, but, but grab onto these qualities that are make you fruitful. Exactly. Verse 12. All right. I'm going to read from verse 12 down through verse uh, 15. Wherefore I shall, and, and if you're just tuning in, we're in second Peter chapter one, I'm starting in verse 12 here. And again, I'm reading from an older translation, the American standard. Um, Wherefore, I shall be ready always to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth which is with you. And I think it right, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that the putting off of my tabernacle cometh swiftly, even as our Lord Jesus Christ signified unto me. Yea, I will give diligence that at every time you may be able after my decease to call these things to remembrance. Any translation notes that jump out at you there? Uh, tabernacle versus my translation saying dwelling in verse 13. Okay. Um, that's, that's cool. Uh, but the other thing in verse 15 is the word for deceased or departure there. 
the same word for Exodus that's used in Luke, the 12th chapter? It is. Yeah. He says, after my Exodus. That's right. Yeah. So um, and that, that obviously is cool because of what Peter is about to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So uh, just, just real quickly, the word Exodus, of course, it's the name of the second book of the Bible, but it means the way out. It's, the Exodus is about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I've, I've said this before. I'll mention it again. A couple of years ago, Libby and I had the opportunity to be in Greece. And in, in Greece, if you're driving along and you have a, an off-ramp, uh, our, ours have a sign up that says exit. In Greece, they say Exodus. Hmm. It is the way out. So what, what's Peter talking about going out of? This world. He's talking about a complete, his death um, in verse 14. That's obviously, I believe, the, the context of it. I mean, yeah. and that's exactly how Jesus used it as well. So what does he mean um, by tabernacle or dwelling place? Uh, I think he means his body. Uh, I think he means the, the temporal dwelling is, that is life here on earth. Yep. What does he mean in verse 14 when he says, um, uh, knowing that the putting off of my tabernacle comes swiftly, even as our Lord Jesus Christ signified unto me that last part. What's he talking about when he says Jesus Christ told me about this? Uh, it could be a reference to the end of the Gospel of John. Yeah, I believe that's what it is. Um, or it could be that Jesus came back to Peter after he's been resurrected and ascended into heaven and said something to Peter about his death. Could be. But uh, there but is I, this, I think there's a John tie there. Yeah. In John chapter 21, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, it's in this conversation where Jesus goes back and forth with Peter as to whether or not Peter loves Jesus. And, and, and then what Jesus is really doing, he's challenging Peter. You know, Peter, Peter had this tendency to be so confident, if everybody denies you, I won't. And Jesus knows that Peter needs to have more conviction, more faith, more strength, more courage than he has right now. In Luke 22, Jesus says that he's, he had prayed for Peter, that after Peter had turned again, turned again from denying the Lord, he would establish the others. So the Lord's counting on Peter, but he knows Peter's got to step it up a bit here. And as he says this in verse uh, 18 of John 21, Jesus said, when you were young, you gird yourself and walked where you would, but when you shall be old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will gird you and dress you and carry you whither you would not. And then John says this, he spake signifying by what manner of death he should glorify God. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Peter, apparently, according to what we're told by writers uh, after the New Testament was written, um, Peter was in fact put to death. There's some people who I think are somewhat insistent Peter never went to Rome, but the indications are that he did and that he was put to death in Rome under Nero, uh, much as Paul was. Hmm. All right, so uh, Peter is saying to these folks, look, I'm going to be leaving soon, <laughs> my exodus, and uh, until then, I want to put you in remembrance of things you already know. Chase, one of the mistakes I made as a young preacher and even a not-so-young preacher was I had the idea that every time that I got into the pulpit on a Sunday morning, I needed to be telling the brethren something that they did not already know. <laughs> and that's really a mistake. There's a lot of value in just reinforcing yeah. what we already know. Yeah, I, I think about Paul's letters to Timothy a lot. Um, he'll tell Timothy, he'll say, remind them of these things. 
And there will be certain things he's saying, yeah, make sure you hit on this as the preacher there. But there's also things that Paul says to Timothy directly that you know Timothy already knew, like flee youthful lusts. Yes. You know, Timothy didn't need Paul to tell him this new thing that he had never heard before. Timothy knew that, but Paul knew it was important to remind Timothy, hey, you're a young man. There are some youthful, sinful things out there that are going to tempt you. Stay away from them. And that, that really is powerful to me that there are reminders for things we think are so obvious, but we need them. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I agree. I think Peter, he's doing the same thing for these brethren, and we shouldn't be surprised if our preacher gets up on Sunday morning and is preaching that same lesson you heard a year ago. Well, it's likely because it's something that needs to be hit on regularly. Yeah, put it this way about Timothy. Timothy didn't need Paul to tell him that so that Timothy would know it. Timothy needed Paul to tell him that so that it would be strengthened within Peter's, within yeah. Timothy's resolve so that exactly. Peter be reminded of it. You know, there, there are a lot of things we know, but, but again, we start looking at what's near and get focused on our lust or what we want and the things that we know fade into the background. It doesn't hurt to have that constant reminder. All right. Um, you know, Chase, you and I have both um, working with young men. We know uh, young men sometimes who get caught up in pornography. That, that's mm -hmm. it's one of the things that's just, it is, talking about epidemics, it, it is an, it, it's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I'm sure you found you have to do when working with somebody who's caught up in it, they know it's wrong. That's not the problem. But just day in, day out, you can you can have a conversation with them, a text message, phone call. Remember, remember, focus. Don't make the mistake. Don't set yourself up. Don't go into a situation, go someplace online where where it's going to be two steps from what you don't want to be in. So yep. yeah, reminders yeah. are helpful. Yeah. Amen. All right. Um, so he he says. I'm reminding you things, and I don't feel bad about reminding you things. I'm going to keep reminding you things you already know. And, and then he says this, starting in verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what Peter's affirming here is what we told you, what I'm reminding of you is important because we didn't make it up, nor was it just some fable that we believed in falsely. It was the truth. It was reality. We had these things confirmed to us. He and two others had these things confirmed uh, when they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And, and here, what in particular is Peter referring to? Uh, in verse 17, uh, he's referring to the transfiguration the jesus being you know as white as anything that has ever been whitened and the glory that was radiating off of jesus on the mount of transfiguration so which is something that happened in jesus lifetime while peter mm -hmm. while peter was in and the other apostles were being trained by jesus three of them peter james and john in matthew the 17th chapter and what is it mark the ninth chapter mark mark cha mark nine yep mark nine um, they are taken up into a mountain with Jesus. And what all happens there? Yeah, so there's Jesus up there, but then there's also Moses and Elijah that are on this uh, mountain with Jesus. And Mark's gospel records for us that Jesus is kind of glowing and it's just really, really brightened. And uh, 
Peter, James and John are there, like you said, and Peter doesn't know what to say. And so he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. He got that much right. Um, But then he says, do you want us to build a tabernacle or like a tent uh, for the three of you? One one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And what's really interesting, at least now that I'm thinking about it, I need to go back and look. I don't think anyone answers Peter. Like, I, I don't think, I think it's at that point that God comes out of the heavens and says, yeah, the this voice is, out of heaven is the answer. Yeah. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And it's supposed to shut Peter up. You know, you're, you're, you've got it all wrong. And especially Mark's gospel, everything up into the point in Mark's gospel, Peter and the rest of the apostles, they still have no idea who Jesus is. They think that they know who he is but they keep getting knocked back down on their butt because they don't understand who he is. And this is God coming in saying, he's not Moses. He's not Elijah. He's not one of the prophets. He's my son. And you need to listen to him. You need to prioritize listening to him. And so Jesus even warns them after that, not to tell anyone about this until after his departure or after his, um, after he's been raised. And And this is Peter bringing it up again. Yeah. And if you think about it, the 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 two people who appear with Jesus Moses and Elijah they represent the Old Testament revelation that Moses the lawgiver at Mount Sinai Elijah the great prophet of the Old Testament a lot of prophets in the Old Testament but Elijah stands out as the great and so here you have these two and then Peter treats Jesus as if he's just their peer right let's build three tabernacles one for each of you as if you know you're all great and you know you're you're all messengers of god and the voice coming out of heaven is saying this is my beloved son hear him in other words peter you don't realize how exalted jesus is above these two we're not going to build three tabernacles one for each and treat them as equals you listen to jesus mm-hmm. he he is the one that moses and elijah were anticipating he's not their peer but it's funny you mentioned this. Peter said what he said, and Mark says it, why he said it. He knew not what to answer. They were so afraid. He said what he said because he didn't know what to say. Yeah. You know, when you don't know what to say, what's the best thing to say? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Pat mentions this is another verse teaching. We're not, uh, we're not old. We, we are not Old Testament law, and I think it means we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. You know, in, in the first chapter of Hebrews, there's this idea um, that God has spoken in lots of ways to lots of people, but now he's spoken through his son, and there's a contrast made. The Old Testament prophets spoke being guided by uh, the angels, so particularly the law was given through angels, but now God speaks through his son, and and the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews makes the argument, Jesus is greater than the angels. Therefore, we need to give more earnest heed to the things Jesus said. Not that we ignore the Old Testament. The Old Testament is tremendously valuable to, to study. I don't think we can truly understand the work of Jesus and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ fully unless we have a good foundation in the Old Testament. Yeah. But, but it, the ultimate message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mean, what Peter really learned on that day, and I don't know if he fully understood what he was learning that day, but he, I think, gets it now, is that Jesus's words are the ones that need to be prioritized over everything else, even over some of the things that Moses and Elijah were saying. Jesus's words need to be prioritized and understood and listened to. And that point is really important for Peter to learn 
because it's the same exact thing he's going to tell these people at the end of chapter one and into chapter two yeah. that you the only voice you need to be listening to is jesus christ that's who you need to pay attention to and listen up to so so he said and it's funny now that peter because this was kind of an embarrassing incident in peter's life the transfiguration was when he speaks up and he puts them all on equal footing and then he kind of gets called out from heaven as you know peter you're missing the point and so now Peter refers to that, but what Peter ultimately took away from it was what he says in verse 19, we have the word of prophecy made more sure. You know, when, when that happened, yeah, he could have been embarrassed that he got called out, but what he took away from it was, hey, this Jesus I've had validated, the voices come from heaven. And so the prophets that anticipated Jesus, their word is now confirmed. And so he goes on and he says in verse 19, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture is a private interpretation for no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spake from God being moved by the Holy Spirit. Connect that with what he started out in this paragraph saying, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. This was not just myths. What we were following was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that were from God. Those were not prophecies. People uh, wrote down just writing their own ideas about some vague vision they had. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they write, wrote. Mm -hmm. Yep, right. No, that's, that's right. Okay, so having said that, then, he is now going to introduce the thought that I, I, I want to leave with our audience. And that is, but you know what? In spite of the fact that the, the true prophets of God in the Old Testament wrote what they wrote, being directed by the Holy Spirit, there were also false prophets. And Peter does that so that he can warn his readers, and there can be false teachers among you. And so he sets up this, this threat that his readers are going to be facing, and he's going to warn them about this threat by first of all appealing to false prophets. Now, we have yeah, go ahead. I, I'm just, I'm really trying to think about putting myself in the shoes of this church. Uh, yeah. Because, so Jeff, you, you spoke for our church on Sunday. Um, you saw our congregation, you got to work with us and speak for us that day. And I really love our congregation. And um, the, the naive part of me looks at our church right now because things are going well. And I go, you know, nothing, nothing bad is ever going to happen here. This is, this is just great. Everything is so great here. And if you had come in and said, beware, false prophets are going to arise among you, you know, yeah. it, it would be startling. It would be like, ah, like, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. And I wonder if that's kind of the same boat that the, this church is in as well as Peter's going, look, you, you need to face the reality that this can happen and is going to happen. Um, so anyways, I really just try to put myself there in the shoes of them because it's, it's a reality that has to be faced. Yeah, it's a wake-up call, kind of like, would they be going, what, what? I mean, and so Peter, Peter is going to go into quite an elaborate discussion of these people that, that he's warning them about. I want to say a word real quickly about false prophets. Um, you know, the Bible, the New Testament mentions false prophets in a couple of places. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. If you can picture a wolf dressed up like a sheep, do you remember the old... Um, uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, was it Looney Tunes or was it something else? But uh, there was this uh, 
sheepdog named Sam, and there was this wolf coyote character that would try to get the sheep. You remember that? What is Looney Tunes? Oh my! No, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. It may I, not even been was it was it, it? It may not have been Looney Tunes, but I can't remember. Are, are you talking about Wiley Coyote and? No, Road... no, no, not Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. No, no, oh, no. Okay. Well, then I, audience, I don't know that. Anybody in our audience know what I'm talking about? Chime in here if you can help me out. But, but there was this, 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 um, all business-like sheepdog. I think his name was Sam. But he, you know, he sat there, his white sheepdog, and he tucked the hair over his eyes and all. And then there was this coyote, and, and they would both check in for their day's work. And of course, I don't know if he's a coyote or a wolf, but anyway, they both check in. And the sheepdog is going to sit there, and he's going to monitor things. And there would be this wolf or coyote. And one of the things he'd do, he'd, he'd dress up like a sheep so that he could sneak in amongst the sheep and get them. And of course, it never worked out. It was always funny. Anyway, um, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> we no worries. Nobody's nobody's chiming in to help me out here. No, uh, Mary Mayoza said, Jeff, for some reason, I can't see you watching cartoons when you were little. <laughs> no one, no one's bailing you out. But may, maybe, maybe the comparison is kind of like uh, Little Red Robin Hood and you know the, the big bad wolf kind of dressing up like yeah, grandma. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, trying to blend in and and look like uh, that it's okay. And yeah, so that, that's kind of where my yeah. mind goes. With that. So beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. The, th the thing I want you to get out of this is that they're not, they're not true prophets of God. They are pretending to be. And then the next place I want to call your attention to is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. There shall rise false Christs and false prophets. A false Christ is a phony Christ. It's somebody claiming to be a Christ and he's not. And a false prophet is somebody claiming to be a prophet of God and he's not. What's a prophet of God? Sorry, you caught me in a yawn. Um, oh. uh, it's God's spokesman, God's messenger. Yeah. Somebody uh, who's the, speaking from God. He's for God. Yeah. Direct revelation from God, and he's speaking God's word. A false prophet, somebody who claims to be doing that, but he's not speaking from God. A no. couple of places in the Old Testament, real quick. I'm taking more time on this than I want no, to. That, I think it's good to establish this. J Jeremiah 28. Yeah. Uh, here's a passage where... Uh, Jeremiah and his counterpart, Hanani, are discussing what is the truth, what is God's word about the captivity, and Hanani is insisting that it's not going to last long, that they're going to be, they're going to be getting out of captivity soon, right? Yeah, that's what they say. So, uh, and he claims to be a prophet of God, and, and Jeremiah says in verse 15, Jeremiah the prophet said to Hanani the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you've made this people trust in a lie. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, actually uses the word false prophet here. It says that Jeremiah said to Hananiah, well, actually uses, I can't remember if it uses false prophet here or not. I, I should reach over, but I won't take time to. But, it, but I'm confident that I remember having looked at it just recently. It uses the word false prophet back earlier in the text. In verse five, the prophet Jeremiah spoke. Yeah, it's a false prophet. This is a guy who's claiming to be a prophet from God, but he's not. No, yeah. So you see that idea all throughout the prophets. I'm specifically thinking about um, the book of Micah, uh, Micah uh, chapter three, verse five. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. When they have something to bite with their teeth, they cry peace. <laughs> but against him who puts nothing in their mouths, they declare holy war. 
And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's there's other places here. Zechariah 13, the guy who puts a hairy robe on in order to deceive and claims to have a vision from God. Again, the Septuagint calls him a false prophet. Right. So, all right. So a false prophet is somebody who's claiming to be a prophet from God, and he's not. Um, and, and so now, here's what's interesting. Peter is going to say there were false prophets among the people. The, the, the true prophets, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. There were false prophets, and there are going to be false teachers among you. And people, I think, struggle with getting the concept here because we see two words, false and teacher. But it's one word in Greek. But it's a word that did not, at least we have no evidence of existing before Peter used it. There's no place prior to 2 Peter that you ever see the word false teacher. And it's not two words, it's one word. And it looks like Peter made it up after the paradigm of false prophet. It's clear he's comparing the two. And so basically what, what, what Peter is talking about is some guys who represent themselves as something they are not. And so let's go through 2 Peter chapter 2. And, and the, the point, the takeaway that I want people to get is... When you look around you and you see preachers on television and you see churches that claim to be Christian congregations and, and you just assume they're, they're, they're all what they claim that they are, <clears throat> Peter was warning his readers in the first century, they're not. Uh, some of them are not what they claim they are. Mm -hmm. And so let's take a look at what these guys are doing that Peter is uh, discussing here. Let's start in verse 1, and why don't you read from the New American Standard here, verses 1 through 3, if you would. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, uh, heresies, excuse me, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Three things I want to point out. Number one, in verse one, they're denying the Lord. Number two, their lives are characterized. Did yours say sensuality in verse two? It did. Yep. Their lives are, mine says lascivious doings. Their, their lives are characterized by sexual immorality. Yes, that's exactly verse right. Three, they are, they're insincere. They are saying things to you that are, mine says, feigned words. They're feigning. They're pretending something in order to make merchandise of you. There are religious teachers who say what they say, because as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 chapter, they see godliness as a way of gain. They see they can make a buck off you if they tell you what you want to hear. Go ahead. Oh, it goes exactly with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 about false prophets. Um, and it's verse 16, right after that, you will know them by their fruits. Yep. Th this right here, Peter is almost jumping right off of what yep. Jesus said. You will know them by their fruits and goes, okay, here's the fruit of a false prophet or false teacher. Look, look for it. Now, Peter's going to have a lot more to say about them, but before he does so, um, before he does so, he's going to talk about the fact that the Lord's going to call these people to account. And he gives examples from the Old Testament where even angels that sinned, they're going to be condemned and judged. Uh, the world in Noah's day, uh, God didn't spare it. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, God didn't spare those cities. 
In other words, he said, look, God has a track record. Uh, when he when he says he's going to bring judgment upon somebody, he he does. And he talks about Lot and how he rescued Lot. And of course, Noah, he rescued Noah. And so basically he says, look, God brings condemnation. He brings judgment upon those who uh, stand in opposition to him, but he delivers the righteous. Um, and, and there's a lot that we could say about verses four through nine. Uh, and if there's something in particular you want to bring out there, Chase, go ahead. But that's, that's the general point of the section. And unless there's something you want to say, if there is, that's fine. We can take a moment. But otherwise, I want to go on to verse 10. Yeah, go, go right in. All right. So we get to verse 10, and he comes back to his description of these, these false teachers. It's all, and there's an awful verse break in verse 10, too. It's what? There's awful. a bad yeah. verse break. Uh, yeah, yeah, there he is. Yeah, uh, there he is. It really be better to, to right in the middle of the verse there have the... So in the middle of the verse, mine says, daring self-willed, they tremble mm -hmm. not to rail at dignities, right? Yeah. So these are guys... <laughs> Well, how would you describe that? What does that mean? Daring, self-willed, they tremble not to rail at dignities. I, I think it's an arrogant, prideful person yep. Yep. is who it's describing. Daring, yep. when you think of someone daring, um, I, I think about Satan trying to tempt Jesus to jump off of the pinnacle of the temple. Yeah. And if Jesus had actually fallen into that, that that's a daring person who's just constantly trying to teeter on the edge between good and evil um or or life and death or whatever have you but they're 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 a daring person so that's what yeah. i think about with yeah. but self-willed uh, is i think the the bigger that's the one i have underlined in my bible that they are self-willed they're only out for themselves yes good good um all right so let's get down to verse uh 12 these as creatures without reason born mere animals to be taken and destroyed, railing in matters whereof they are ignorant, shall in their destroying surely be destroyed. These are people who are destroying the faith of others, and we'll see that in more detail in a moment. And, and Peter's saying they're going to be destroyed themselves. Suffering wrong as the higher of wrongdoing, men that count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, spots and blemishes, reveling in their, mind says their deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. What does that mean? Yeah, I think it just means someone that is constantly looking at women with a lustful intent. Yeah, yeah. Or, or men, looking whatever. for opportunities. Yeah. And that cannot cease from sin, enticing unsteadfast souls, having a heart exercised in covetousness, or yours may say greediness. Uh, yes. This is at least the second time that he's called attention to their, their greed. Mm -hmm. And then he says, children of cursing, forsaking the right way, they went astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the higher wrongdoing. So the old, old Gentile prophet, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy back in uh, Numbers 22 that Balak, king of Moab, hired. To, he was a prophet. And uh, he was hired by this Moabite, Moabite king to curse Israel. And God wouldn't let him curse Israel. And if you don't pay attention to the rest of the story, you don't know what actually happened. What actually happened, we find out in chapter 31, is that Balaam, who could not curse Israel as Balak wanted him to, wanted to get paid. 
And so what he did do was he gave advice. He gave counsel to Moab, said, look, I don't have to curse them. You just send your women in there to seduce Israel and you'll lead the Israelites right into worshiping your idols and they'll curse themselves. And you see some of that happen back in Numbers 25. And so, um, so Balaam was a prophet for hire. And so Balaam gets mentioned a few times in the New Testament as an example of this sort of thing. And Peter brings him up to say, that's what these false teachers are. Um, and so th this is, the, Balaam is famous because he was riding on a donkey that spoke to him. And Peter alludes to that in verse 16. But this come back to verse 17. Read for us verse 17 and 18 and 19, if you would, Chase. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. All right, so let's walk backwards through it. Um, these people are preaching freedom. You, they're, 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 and that's a message that you'll hear in a lot of so-called Christian churches today from a lot of so-called Christian pastors, that you're free in Christ, you're free in Christ. Well, well, there is a freedom in Christ. It's freedom from sin, but it's not a freedom from obligation. It's not a freedom from responsibility, and it's not a freedom from self-control. But, you know, people who want to justify sexual immorality or homosexuality or all kinds of things, we'll talk about, we're free, we're free. And so these teachers are promising a freedom, and, and really, they themselves are slaves, slaves of corruption, slaves of sin. And uh, what they're doing is enticing their audience by the lust of the flesh. flesh. They're people who, who just escaped the defilements of, of uh, sin, the defilements of the world, and these people, these false teachers are leading them right back into it. And that's, a, you know, sometimes people want to hear that. Oh, I can go back to doing what I was doing. Read verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. I said, I said we'd come back to chapter 1, verse 4. At the end of chapter 1, verse 4, it said, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Peter's writing, look, you have escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. And now he's warning them about these false teachers. And what he's saying is these false teachers are going to lead you right back into it. Well, that's and, what they, and they themselves are slaves of corruption, verse 19. And they use great swelling words vanity. They don't just say, hey, it's all right to go this stuff. They speak very eloquently and, and in a way that sounds like an order um, and, and is impressive and deceitful. A dog then, returns to its own vomit. Yep. And the final, what's the final uh, upshot of all of this at the end of verse 20 and, and so on? The last state has become worse for them than the first. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you're worse off if you'd never heard the gospel. That'd be one thing. Then when you hear the gospel, you can be saved. But if you've heard the gospel and then you've been led away from it back into this, you're that much harder to reach. Mm -hmm. And your last state is worse than the first. Um, for those who believe once saved, always saved, this passage sure argues against it. But the point I want to get emphasized here as we come to the end of our broadcast today, not everybody out there who claims to be a preacher of God's word or a teacher of God's word is. Not everything that goes under the name Christian is. 
Chase, you and I had a brief conversation before we went on the air. We see so many people newly becoming Christians, and they're not yet aware of how much false Christianity there is out there. And, you know, it, it's, not, it's not my job to go through and say, well, this guy's not really a Christian, that guy's not really a Christian. But I think Peter is showing us it is our job to warn people generally, you know what, you have to be on the lookout. Not everybody out there who claims to be a messenger from God or a teacher of God's word is. Yep. Amen. Well said. All right. Thanks, Chase. Yep. Thank Thanks, you all Jeff. for listening.